Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 120 for the 19th of Adar Base in Alipir. And today we are going to be discussing Nirvana. Not the grunge band Nirvana from the 90s, but rather where they got their name from, namely the concept of Nirvana, which is an Eastern idea most widely popularized by Buddhism. And we're actually going to bash this concept somewhat. We're going to talk about how not only is it not necessarily a Jewish idea, but how it's actually a futile and kind of pointless goal in the grand scheme of things. So what are we talking about here? So first, just to get a little bit of a background as to what nirvana is. So nirvana is basically the idea of enlightenment, so to speak, according to dictionary.com, which I will admit that is not necessarily the be all end all for definitions, especially religious definitions like this. But nevertheless, vocabulary.com defines nirvana as being a place of perfect peace and happiness, like heaven. In Hinduism and Buddhism, nirvana is the highest state that someone can attain, a state of enlightenment, meaning a person's individual desires and suffering go away. So on first glance, this might seem like a really noble and attractive goal, like really rid ourselves of human suffering and attachment to physical things. And it seems in fact to to mirror a lot of the things we've been learning about in Tanya, like not being too attached to physicality and to our bodily desires and attaining more of a sense of selflessness and everything like that. But now here's the thing. And I think that the key comes from, again, this albeit perhaps imperfect definition from vocabulary.com, the first line of this definition, which says nirvana is a place of perfect peace and happiness like heaven. So Here's the thing. We are not in heaven. We are on on earth. And when we're talking about the soul and we're talking about spiritual matters, where is the soul? And for simplicity today, when we talk about the soul, without using any other adjectives, we're going to be referring to the godly soul. So where is the godly soul most at home? The godly soul is most at home in the spiritual realms, in quote unquote heaven, in these higher levels basically being subsumed and nullified within God. So according to mystical sources, and this is something that we're going to touch upon today, for the soul to come down here into the body is actually a very grueling and painful and difficult process. It's not so simple. It's a very, very big leap. This is not the place of comfort for the soul. And the truth is that even the most righteous of people, people who have really perfected themselves, people who have quote unquote achieved enlightenment, whether in a Buddhist sense or even in a Jewish sense, like people who are true tzaddikim, no matter how enlightened they can become, no matter how refined they can be to their soul, 
their soul, the godly soul down here is still going to be extremely compromised compared to what it was up in the heavens. It's still going to be a very far stretch from the state of perception and experiential feeling of being close to God that it had or has when it's in its home in the spiritual realm. So the question then comes up as to why did the soul come down here? What's the point of it all? So according to the Buddhists, it would be in order to achieve this state of enlightenment within our bodies and get reattached with our souls. But this is really like, it's 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 a little bit not, it, it it's an explanation that kind of leaves us wanting. Because if the truth is, as we've just explained, that no matter how much we strive and try to achieve this state of enlightenment and attachment to our souls and refinement of our godly souls, even if we are the most perfect person in the world, like the Buddhists might say Buddha or, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu in a Jewish way, Lahavdiel, our godly souls are still going to be not in this state of perfect awareness. It will be nowhere near where it was when it was in the spiritual realms. And not only that, we've also learned about how our godly soul is actually totally perfect and it has nothing negative to attach to it at all. At all, And even though it does come down here into the physical realm, it doesn't actually get blemished in any way. So there's this idea in Judaism that there's what we call the pentelegid, part of ourselves as Jews that never gets impure, never gets dirty in any kind of way. This is the part of us when we wake up in the morning, we say, modani, modani. Uh, we thank God for, for bringing our souls back into our bodies. This is an explicit statement that we say this before we even wash our hands in the morning because it's something that we're saying that there's a part of us, this is our soul that's inside of us that is beyond tuma. it's beyond impurity. So this soul that we have, this godly soul that, that resides inside of us is free from impurity and it doesn't need any kind of rectification. It does not need to be fixed in any kind of way. So now we're left with a really strong question. So we know here that first of all, the goal is not to achieve nirvana, enlightenment, and all of that, because if that was the goal, we never should have come down to earth to begin with, because we were already in this state of enlightenment that was much higher than anything we can achieve on earth before we were born and before the soul came down to earth. And in addition to that, the godly soul itself does not need any kind of rectification. So even if we wanted to say that maybe it needs to come into this world in order to achieve a new realization and a new rectification, no, it doesn't. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. There's, it is not in need of any repair. So if all of this is true, and if now we've hopefully successfully debunked nirvana, or at least my understanding of it, then why? Why did the soul come down here into this world? And today, today we're going to learn the answer to this. And so we are, again, in the middle of chapter 37, and in the middle of chapter 37, we're up to right now, what, we, what we're going to learn today is about how the reason for the godly soul coming down here into this world is not for itself, because it's true. The soul does not need any kind of rectification. And it's also true that no matter how high of a sense of enlightenment or awareness that the godly soul achieves down here, it will never reach anywhere close to the, to the awareness and state of perception that it has in the higher realms. The reason why the godly soul came down here into the world was in fact a totally selfless act. It had nothing to do with itself. It came down here into this world for 
the sake of the animal soul, for the sake of the body, and for the sake of this physical world. So it was it took it's an extreme act of self-sacrifice that the godly soul went from its home in its higher abode and came down here in order to help accomplish God's mission to transform and elevate physicality whether that is in terms of our physical bodies whether that's in terms of our animal souls and whether that's in terms of the world at large the physical world at large and just as a side note which the Tanya doesn't really get into today but I thought it would be interesting to mention the godly soul does actually benefit from all of this at the end of the day so at the end of the day while it it was a very selfless act it is a very selfless act when the godly soul comes down here into the into the world and it's not really initially here for itself it does gain ultimately at the end of the day and it does get something by being here in physicality that it could not achieve in the heavens but that's a subject for another time so for for today, we're really just going to get into the text now and focus on the mission of the godly soul in terms of how it pertains to the physical world down here into our physical bodies and to our animal souls. So here we go. So the altar Rebbe begins and he says that every spark, so remember we talked about how there's 600,000 collective Jewish souls and then of those 600,000 collective Jewish souls, there's 600,000 sparks and other sparks and all kinds of different things that make up all of the millions of Jews in the world. So for every one of these sparks of these godly souls, it did not come down here into this physical world, into this world for its own right which is a great descent, which is a real state of exile for its own sake. Because even somebody who's a total tariq, somebody who's a totally righteous person who serves God out of fear and love, that is a great fear and love, a love in pleasures, ava, batan, no game it's called, will still never attain the same state of attachment, of dvekus to God, of fear and love that it, uh, that it had prior to it coming down into this world, into this physical world. Not even a, a, a sliver of it. It's not even going to come close to that state of attachment that it had. And there's no comparison or similarity at all to these two different states, as is known to any thinking person, because the body would not be able to handle this kind of love and fear. It just, it wouldn't translate down here. But rather, so why did the soul, the godly soul come down here into the body? to be vested in the body and in the animal soul. This is in order to rectify them only for that purpose and to separate them from the negativity of the three klipos atmeos, the three impure klipos that we've been talking about, these three impure husks that conceal God. And how does it do this? Through making sure that the body and the animal soul guard against committing any of the 365 transgressions and all of their branches and in order to and also by elevating the animal soul with its particular portion that is related to it from this world so remember we talked about yesterday please go back and listen if you haven't how every single one of us has a particular portion of the world that is connected to us and that we're supposed to elevate so the godly soul assists in this the godly soul assists in connecting our animal souls with connecting us with our particular portion of this world and uniting it with the light of the Ein Sof Baruch Hu, the infinite light. And the godly soul helps draw in this infinite light into these things, namely into the animal soul and into this portion of the world that is related to it through keeping all of the practical commandments like we talked about above. And then in brackets, the Ultra Rabbi says it also is talked about in the Eitzheim, the Sefer Eitzheim in the 26th gate, because the soul itself does not need rectification. 
at all. And the soul did not need to be vested in this world for any other reason other than to draw down God's light and to rectify the world and the animal soul. And then the altar concludes this section by saying that this parallels exactly the secret of the exile of the Shekhinah in order to rectify the spark. So he ends off with this little portion, but basically it's, it's, it's kind of like a little cryptic here, but just to kind of explain that a little bit. So maybe some of you might be familiar with this idea. Maybe, maybe you've heard the idea of like tikkun olam, right? Uh, which literally means rectification of the world. So the origin of this term is this idea of the shattering of the vessels. So there was this idea that in, uh, in the very beginning when God was creating the world, he had all of these different, forces these all these different lights that were very very intense and they each one of those lights shone god and displayed god perfectly and completely but each one of them was so full of god and so full of manifesting god in its complete way that they collided and they couldn't each they couldn't they couldn't make room for the other light. So just as lights being like free-flowing kind of lights, they were able to, exi to exist, to coexist. But once they needed to be translated into vessels, which is what the world is really, how the world came to be, they could not be contained in vessels and the light was too great and the vessel shattered. This, this is a big topic that maybe we'll get into another time more in depth, but that's the basic idea. And so the basic idea is that throughout our world are these fallen sparks that are filled with this light that shattered from that time. And in and the light that is found within them is what we know of as the Shekhinah, as the divine presence that's here in the world. And so what the altar of basically is saying in this section is he's saying that this secret of the exile of the Shekhinah, which is within these fallen sparks all around the world, this is directly related to everything we've been talking about, about our divine soul coming down here to rectify the physicality and the animal soul and our portion in the world, because every single one of those fallen sparks has a relation to one Jewish spark soul. So it's, you know, it's all interconnected. Like we're all, we're all connected to this divine mission of elevating the sparks. So basically to sum up all of this, so just to recap, what we talked about today is about how the divine soul itself, the godly soul is perfect and it doesn't need to be rectified in any way. It's, it's a part of God. It didn't, it was perfect before it came down into the world. And in fact, in coming down into the world, it was a huge, it is a huge, huge, huge descent for it. It's very difficult. It's very grueling. It's not pleasant at all. And so when it comes down here, it's not doing it for its own sake because it, it doesn't need to be rectified. It's here merely for the purpose of elevating the animal soul, our physical bodies, and the physical world around us by separating these things from the negative, negative forces that conceal God. And we also talked about bringing it back to the beginning about how another proof for the fact that the, it's not the godly soul is not here for its own sake is because the whole point of the godly soul is about really achieving this state of awareness and love and fear of God. And no matter how much a person cultivates this love and fear and awareness of God down here, it will never in any way come anywhere near the state of enlightenment, of awareness, of love and fear that the soul has in the higher realms above, which is why devoting a person's life to this pursuit is kind of not that we shouldn't be focused on loving and fearing God, as we will definitely talk about in, in the Tanya later on. However, and we've talked, we, have, we touched upon it already somewhat. However, on the other hand, it's, it's not only about that. It's not just about coming to a state of love and fear of God. Because if that was the whole point, the soul 
did not have to come down into the world to begin with at all because it had that state of enlightenment in a much higher and more profound way above. So I hope that was enlightening, no pun intended. And uh, we'll continue with this chapter tomorrow. I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.